Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the one and only, Mr. Jerry Springer. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> How's it going, Jer? We're going to try something different this week. What? <laughs> Doing the I'll show? Go, maybe, maybe I'll go first. <laughs> no. Oh, it's not the Gene Galvin. I ought to say. You know, this, ought to be, this ought to be said. We've been doing this for over seven years. And, and the guy that's kept this all together is a fellow named Gene Galvin. Uh-huh. I mean, he is the executive, senior executive producer. Senior executive producer. Oh, by gosh, yeah. he, he does it every, you know, every week, every two weeks we record these. Yep. So uh, I'm really appreciative, Gene. Oh, yep. I appreciate it. Anytime that, you'd like and, another minute and a half to talk, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, we always uh, open these podcasts with, well, for, before I do that, I do want to say Luke Trimble, <laughs> Paintsville, hey, Kentucky. Is back. Hey guys, thank you. Luke is awesome. We had him on last week. Uh, Country style singer with some folk Americana influences. And uh, he's going to do a song for us in the final third of the podcast. Megan Hills, our third voice here, will be talking with him. Uh, Before we do that, I wanted to ask you, Jerry, and people who follow our podcast know that, frankly, the heart of the podcast is Jerry's commentary. He's real good at this. And the task is uh, this, you know, we say, Jerry, a lot of stuff going on in America. What caught your interest and uh, what are your thoughts? So uh, there is a lot going on, but what did catch you this week? Well, white evangelicals weren't always diehard Republicans. The truth is they rarely voted as an organized bloc if they voted at all. For example, many of them marked their ballot for Democrat Jimmy Carter, and not just because he was a self-described born-again Christian. A significant number of them, like most Americans, were still reacting to the Republican scandals of Nixon's Watergate. Abortion in the early 70s wasn't yet viewed as this great political issue. In fact, even several years after Roe v. Wade was decided, the Southern Baptist Convention endorsed a resolution promoting legislation that would permit abortion in cases of, and I'm quoting now, rape, incest, severe fetal deformity, and carefully ascertained evidence of the likelihood of damage to the emotional, mental, and physical health of the mother, end quote. Sure sounds awfully close to a pro-choice position. Then how did we get to today's circumstance where the Christian right stands as the Republican Party's most solidly loyal and reliable constituency. Well, as it happened in the beginning, the transition wasn't really a consequence of a particular religious view at all. It was more about race. You see, in the mid-60s and 70s, Congress was busy passing laws, laws and the courts were issuing orders to desegregate our public schools. So as to circumvent these orders, a number of private all-white Christian academies were established, perhaps none more prominent than the Reverend Jerry Falwell's Liberty University in Virginia. Similar parochial schools sprung up throughout the South as a strategic means of avoiding having to integrate. 
since the Democrats were most closely identified with the civil rights movement, Southern voters started drifting toward the Republicans. Southern churches and their associated educational institutions became the refuge of these now Republican-leaning whites seeking to escape what they saw as the perils of integration. Jerry Falwell and his fellow televangelists, along with a host of other ministers, realized soon enough that they were presiding over what could become a powerful political constituency. The allure of this potential power was too much to pass up. Simply put, they now had something concrete to offer President Reagan and the Republican Party, an organization of millions of like-minded conservative voters that met every Sunday morning in church where they could readily be subjected to a clear and consistent message. But the message couldn't be exactly what the Republican Party was really about at that time, which was race, anti-busing, anti-integration. Even if many of the parishioners were in fact sympathetic, sympathetic to that position, the church could hardly be seen as endorsing that view. And it wasn't just on moral grounds. There were practical considerations as well. If the church was seen as working to elect Republicans, a blatantly political activity, the Democrats, with clear justification, would be moving to have these churches and parochial schools stripped of their lucrative tax exemptions that are normally given to religious organizations. To Falwell, that was too high a price to pay. So these clerics needed to come up with another way to deliver the white Christian vote to the Republican Party that would not put their much needed tax exemptions in jeopardy. It would have to be a religious cause that wouldn't look so obviously political. Enter stage right, the issue of abortion. If the Republican Party in its platform and in its campaigning would stand four square behind the right to life banner, that is, a fetus is fully a human being, then the Southern Christian leaders would give their full-throated support to the Republican Party, because this was a more palatable sell for a religious organization than trying to sell segregation. That is how abortion, which had historically never been a major political issue in America, certainly not one that decided election outcomes, suddenly grew to be one by the late 1970s. Simply put, a political deal. Church leaders would have a major political party behind them, giving them a degree of clout not even their weekly television programs could deliver. And in exchange, the Republican Party would get its largest, most dependable, loyal constituency. From their point of view, it's a win-win for everyone except women. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. Thank you, Jerry. Good info. I've hey, never, uh, I've never heard that um, that line either. through like that ever. No. That's that's very very interesting. Now, and I know you do, uh, I'm not joking here, uh, a lot of reading, a, a lot of really interesting books, uh, nonfiction, usually, from what yeah. I understand from chatting with you. So did that history, is that something that you uh, learned how? I'm curious. 
Yeah, well, I am too. Uh, um, I was, two things came up with that. I'm reading a lot, particularly with everything we're going through now, yep. current news. I'm reading a lot about the earlier days we lived through. Okay. The, 50, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. I've just finished The Age of Eisenhower. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm reading Truman. And I'm reading during the civil rights movement. So I'm involved. And then, Gene, you'll remember when I was on city council, which started in 1971. Cincinnati. In Cincinnati. I'm sorry. In Cincinnati, there was this couple, a Dr. Wilkie. Yes. And his wife, who became the most prominent founders of the right to life movement. Correct. They had an organization starting in Cincinnati, Ohio. Right. And I remember them coming down to city council meetings all the time, arguing on the issue of abortion. Mm -hmm. And to those of us sitting on city council and those of us who were politicians at the time, this really wasn't an issue that had ever really been, you didn't have to campaign on an issue like that. But during the 1970s, by the time we were running for re-election in 73, 75, 77, 79, in every one of those elections, it became a bigger and bigger issue, the questionnaires you would get. And the Republican Party really came out four square, as I said, on this issue when it had never been on their radar before. Interesting. And that is really interesting. That's how, so I was just speaking of the personal experience as just a politician. Just piecing it all together. Yeah. That issue. That's how that came along. Interesting. Gosh darn it, I forget how intelligent you really are sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean it. Like, you really, I've learned so much from you over the years, and I had never heard that through line before. So yeah. thank you, Jerry. Most people don't want to learn from me. Most people. No, that's also say, true. You know, we tell our kids, don't be like him. <laughs> Don't be like it. Nice Aww. fella. Nice, nice fella. But don't be like him. Hey, here's a That's here's a point of information. I had been whining in the last couple episodes as a former educator, retired educator, and somebody who owns some guns because I had gone in the past many summers up to Alaska. So I always have to explain. I don't I don't hit guns because I'm afraid of people. I hit guns because I'm cautious about big ass grizzly bears in Alaska. Nonetheless, uh, I have been whining in the shadow of the horrific Uvalde, that massacre in Texas of uh, children and two teachers that uh, some on the Republican side have said, well, we need to arm teachers. And uh, and by the way, the uh, National Education Association, the American Federation of Teachers, those are the two huge teacher organizations, some would call them unions, are against this. Cops are against this. They don't want educators or school employees armed. Nonetheless, and this is a new piece of information, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, just yesterday, as I recall, signed into law, set, you know, established a statute passed by the House and the Senate in Ohio, a uh, law that not only allows or encourages teachers to be armed, but changing 
the preparation, yeah. the training, get this, from 700 hours down to a mere 24 hours. Yeah. That's the only training that someone like me, if I chose to carry a weapon in schools, and I worked in schools my whole life, high schools, and even before that in middle school, uh, I could do it with 24 hours of training. Now, keep in mind that uh, over a dozen highly trained armed officers stayed in the hallway in Uvalde right. uh, before for what, an hour, some yep. say over an hour before they finally confronted this guy. Running counter to all of the training on, you know, you got to go to the shooting. You got to get in fast. You got to try to take the shooter down. So they think that Gene Galvin's going to go in there and take this guy on while those chicken shits are out in the hallway waiting for me and my brothers and sister teachers to go in. So I, I've talked too much about this, but I just want to add, Jerry and Megan, what do you think of this changing from 700 hours to 24? Because Here's why it's important for us to at least think about this. This is going to sweep the country. You mark oh, yeah. my word. This is well, going to be commonplace in Republican states where they're going to shrink down the training to a, to a handful of hours to go into combat against a freaking AR-15. What yeah. do you guys say? My friends that are teachers on Facebook have been pretty vocal about this kind of stuff. And mostly what I, I hear the same kind of rhetoric from most of them. And it's, you're not allowing us to, you don't trust us to choose curriculum for your children. Yeah, and yeah. now you, you want yeah. us to. Great to, point. And the, uh, and the other right. thing is this, and a, a friend of mine wrote, like, you know, she said, I love your kids. I go to school every day to teach your kids, but I need to be able to go home to mine. And I don't think I should have to worry about shooting somebody else for your child. That is why we have police. That is why we have these, you know, these other things in place. Like they're very upset about it. Like, and, and like I said, these are my friends on Facebook. I know that it's definitely an audience that is much more towards my thinking, but at the same time, they always bring up really good points on that stuff. And I just like uh, my friend, Alicia specifically, so she, they won't let me pick my own curriculum. They want to put strap a gun on me. <laughs> so well, it's, it's absurd. But it's happening because it's happening throughout our society all over in terms of moving to the direction where it's the old West again. Everyone's allowed to carry guns. We talk about only 24 hours. You, you can get a gun today with no training. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like everyone's walking around with guns and you're going to see people just getting in arguments and shooting each other. And it, and it's not just going to be gangs. It's, it, you know, it, it's, it, it's just going to be right. So of course it's, you know, it's, it's churches, it's schools, it's grocery stores, it's concerts. It's we, this country is in love with guns. Yep. And it, it is, it's insane. And we've gotten to the point that if, if you don't think it's right for people to be able to have assault weapons, which have no purpose on this earth except killing people, none. You don't use them for hunting. It could be a hobby that you collect them. Get another hobby. Collect stamps. I, I mean, th this good. is just unbelievable. And yet it's being 
posed by many in the Republican Party, not all, but many as, oh, those leftists, those Mm -hmm. commies, they don't want to have their guns. They're not men like us. It's insane. And so I'm not surprised that this is being suggested uh, in our schools because it's the answer to everything. Get a gun. And uh, we are going we are going to pay. We boy, are we going to pay? You know, you guys. Uh, oh, sorry. Jane. The th- thing from an educator's point of view, uh, and I'll remind you of another one of these horrible incidents was in Paducah, Kentucky. It was right before Columbine. So this goes back a bunch of years. And uh, <laughs> a kid went into a Paducah school. I think it was high school and killed some people. And it turns out it was the principal. The principal didn't need or have a gun. What a principal could do, and I, this is what I could picture myself taking a shot at doing, is to try to get the weapon from the kid, not in a wrestling match, you know, a struggle, armed struggle, but because the, I have knowledge of these children. I know right. these kids. I work with these kids. And I have a better chance of trying to resolve it that way. And by the way, that principal got the gun from that kid and it ended not because he had to get into a shooting match with him being out, out uh, armed with an AR 15, because that's because what this does is that the, the shooters now are going to go into schools. And the first thing they're going to do is quickly shoot the, the adults Absolutely, because they're hearing in the news while they're all armed, which of course they're not. Because I don't know how many of them are going to raise their hand and say, yeah, I'll carry my gun to school. But you just go in and just, you know, start shooting all the adults real fast and then get on with your ugly business. So, mm-hmm. Amazing. I know it just I, you guys know my affinity for one Cincinnati, one specific Cincinnati quarterback. And he actually had something to say today on gun control, which he did talk about there. that. Yeah. And it, which is so unusual because guys. Joe Burrow. The yeah. Joe Burrow. Yep. These guys never take a stand. They're always, oh, you know, I'm just here to play football. I'm here to do yeah, this. Yeah. And God love them if he didn't say, and I'm sure you guys both know this, but if he didn't say, listen, I do play football, but the politicians and the people that are paid to make these decisions, I hope they're making the decisions to, we, we got to get rid of this stuff. Like the, and he's talking about the guns. Types, the, the yeah. AR-15 AR-15. He didn't name yep. them, but it's pretty clear when you see what yeah. he says. Yeah. Talk, he's I was so proud AR-15s. of him, though. Like, rather than just saying, oh, I just play football. Like, he had an opinion. And he said it. I was, oh, God love yeah. him. <laughs> I agree with that. I, I saw that, too. And I, I, Megan, I had the exact same reaction. Hey, we're going to bring on Luke Tremble once second. Yeah, hey, hey, Luke. Sorry. Hey, Jerry, hey, one quick thing before we do that, because last podcast, we had fun doing this. Uh, Jerry's very proud grandfather, and he's got a grandson that uh, I think he's a real uh, athletic prowess, and baseball's his real focus. Hey, I wanted to ask you, does he and you and people who follow this podcast would know this? You grew up in New York. You are just a diehard Yankees fan. You were the mayor of Cincinnati, and you occasionally get yourself in trouble when you would talk about the Yankees versus <laughs> the Cincinnati Reds, and it was great. Yeah, just because it was sort of whiplash, you know, this uh, the mayor is talking about the New York Yankees. 
<clears throat> does Richard aspire when he talks about he'd like to see where things go after maybe playing high school baseball, who knows, maybe college and then see what comes after that. We all know that's veiled language of every kid. If I want to play in the big leagues. Yeah. Is he a Yankees fan? Tell us about that. Well, or, or, he, he he was growing up living in Chicago, you know, yeah, uh, okay. he's a Cubs he was growing fan. up a Cubs fan. OK. And but he knows I'm a Yankee fan. <laughs> and, uh, this was last year. Um, he comes in my office here at home, whatever. And he and he's walking in and he says, what are you doing, Opa? And at the time, I was really working on my will. Really? And oh, I said, I'm, well, I had to make some adjustments so anyway. And, and Jean, I'm sorry. Sorry, oh, no, Jean. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had it. So I got to save someplace. So you're in mine. That, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Go ahead. yeah. But anyway, so I, I, he says, "What are you doing, Opa?" And I said, "Well, actually, I'm uh, uh, working on my will." And without skipping a beat, yeah, he says, "You know, I really like those Yankees." <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what? I mean, so he's not a stupid how kid. How quick is he? Yeah. No, he says I really like those Yankees, Opa. Well, Bob, I talked yeah. to you lately about the Yankees and how so much I, I said, love "Do you them. have an eraser?" I got it. That's awesome. Oh, that's, that's so cool. Well, well being like, a Yankee you... fan is the only Republican part of me. Nah, come the on, all of New York's a Democrat I, area. I was going to say, a Democrat I don't... city, but the pinstripes. Yeah, the idea that you. you can buy everything. Yeah, it's, right. It's right. so corporate. It's so institutional. <laughs> it's, I love the Yankees, but it's, I love it's the, the Yankees. It's the closest well, thing are, I get to being a Republican. You are in my will, and my wife can attest to that. And <laughs> what you are in there to receive yeah. is I'm a car collector, is my 1983 Plymouth Reliant, the K car, and that's my daily driver, and that goes to you. And it's running only on three cylinders at the moment, but yeah. it does start. Yeah. That's fantastic. What'd you leave me, Gene? Uh, the, I have, I have a Maserati. There we uh, go. <laughs> I wish. No, the I gift know, he left you is that he's just leaving. Leave it. Just yeah, the, that just is departing. the gift. That's the gift. <laughs> the gift is I'm gone. Oh, yeah. Oh. All right. Well, once again, as Gene mentioned, that was good, Jer. That was really good. Uh, at the top of the show, we do have Luke Trimble back with us. Welcome back, Luke. How are you? Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Can I just say one thing? And then I really, I really will stop. But just mentioning Luke. It dawns on me that yep. when we start off the podcast at the beginning of each half hour or whatever, right. um, I do a political rant and then we have some kind of political discussion. Yeah. And then, you know, at the end, we have a, a, a musical uh, guest. Right. And I just wonder when we have the musical guests, they're sitting there listening to all of this. <laughs> and does it just does it make you squirm? Because we never clear my politics with who's ever with coming anybody. to perform. And, you know, if if I were a musical guest uh, on a show and suddenly the host starts talking on the other side, yeah. you know, was a real right winger. I, I got to tell you, I really would be uncomfortable. So you don't so have look, to tell me what to your put politics you on the... are, but at least you're still here and you're breathing. So... Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, it, it is a fair question. And uh, Luke, we don't we never ask when Casey Campbell makes contact with our singer songwriters. Well, I love, let's just ask Luke, does let's Casey tell guy. you does <laughs> Casey <laughs> tell you that Jerry and the podcast has a real uh, politically liberal bent? And do you give a rat's ass anyway? Uh, I listened to some previous episodes, just kind of get ideas. So, but okay. no, I, it doesn't. I, I enjoy sitting here listening to you guys, so it's, it's <laughs> no problem to me at all. Okay, that's cool. So very, let's very let's nice. not Thank you. do that to yeah. another guest because that could go really bad, gentlemen. Yeah, that could have gone. <laughs> you know, you're never supposed to ask the question where you don't already know the answer. I know. Uh, that's Jerry. what they teach in law school. So I shouldn't have asked you that question. It would have been well, great if you would have said, hell no, Springer. <laughs> there just, is just a off Tommy Pinko. I can see why you're wearing a pink shirt, for God's sakes. Hey, there's uh, a guest that we had on. <laughs> <laughs> who is, uh, I've learned now, a girlfriend of a singer-songwriter. And the, the guest we had on months ago, it's just a kind of a funny bit, is Jessica Mills. And she goes, she's a, a backpacker, and she's done all these trails north and south, up and down America. And she makes a bunch of money as a YouTuber. People love her. She has lots of followers. And she's from Arkansas. So she was on the podcast as part of our tomfoolery part of the podcast. And I saw her on the zoom screen sitting there and I know a little bit about her. I've gotten to know her a little bit. I'm thinking based on some of the things I know, I think she might be pretty conservative. And so you did your thing, whatever it was, I couldn't even tell you what it was, but we did all of our liberal politics because you, me and Megan are liberals. And she was, I thought very entertaining, very lively and funny and had a lot of personality. And she did the bit. And, the, you know, the bit was join Jerry, take Jerry up Springer Mountain, Mount in Georgia, Springer <laughs> and plant the family flag. That was the bit. So the podcast ended. And of course, that was that. And we move on. And I thought afterwards, God, I, she might be one where we just offended her. Uh, we were out of whack with her politics. And then, as I mentioned a week or two ago, she recontacts me and says this. Hey, I go with this guy who uh, has friends who are on, ending up on your podcast, like Luke Trimble. She didn't mention Luke, but she mentioned somebody else that uh, had been guests. And he'd love to come on. And, and I then said, well, hell yeah, you come on with him and we'll play this bit out a little bit farther. And she's agreed. So maybe I was wrong. Maybe she was, is somebody. A, who is uh, liberal like us, or two, just doesn't care. Yeah. When it's people fun. first meet me, they think I'm a Republican every single time. They always yeah. think I'm Republican. That's interesting. I don't, I, it, it's so weird. They think I'm very conservative. And it's probably this area because I think it's, a, you know, I think this is a more conservative area. That's a good point. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think people just assume that you agree with them wherever you are. Yeah. Anyway, yes. let's listen to Luke. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Get to the tales part and the tunes part. Luke, welcome back. So last time you had a song for us, uh, Pike County Queen, and it was uh, a song about that you had written driving back and forth between Pikeville and where you were currently living, Paintsville, right? Yes. So the, the song that you have agreed to play for us this evening is Mountain Lad. Is that correct? Mountain Lady. 
Lady. Okay, Lady. well, I forgot the why. That makes a Spoiler, big difference in the song. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. All right. Um, well, my bad. Um, no, you're so fine. tell us a, tell us about this song, Mountain Lady, <laughs> not Mountain Lad. <laughs> yeah, Mountain Lady. So it's about. Um, I wrote it for my mom and my grandma. Um, kind of anyone who had a hand in raising me growing up. So that's kind of the basis of the song, just kind of the, the sacrifices, um, nice. you know, that, that they made for me. Cool. Um, and it's, it's not like every verse is about, you know, specifically what they went through, but I think it's more about growing up in Eastern Kentucky, um, the Appalachia region and kind of, you know, seeing other people's mothers and other, you know, grandmothers, things like that. And the, the kind of the sacrifices that they made for, for their kids or their grandkids, something like that. So that's Damn, really when you do that, that song, one. When That's you do that song. out, do, do you get a, does that resonate pretty well? Because I would think it would within the Appalachian culture, because that's a story a lot of people have. That's a great yeah. concept yeah. for a song. Absolutely. I think, and yeah, that's uh, most of my songs, you know, I feel that kind of way about, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, if you're from around Kentucky or the Appalachians, you kind of resonate, you know, a little bit more with it. But I think when I, when I play it out, you know, in the area, it's definitely maybe hits home a little more. Cause you know, there's a few lines that mention um, some local bars or restaurants that, you know, um, I say that, you know, the mother worked at to, to make ends meet for nickels and dimes. And um, I think in that way, it kind of resonates more um, just kind of the firsthand experiences that, you know, the listener may, may have with the song. But I think overall, you know, if, anyone's had a mother or you know a figure in their life that's kind of sacrificed for you i think you can connect with it as well well here we have mountain lady by luke trimble Tougher than I, Floyd County Jail. Raising five heathens is meaner than hell. Find her at daybreak with a menthol and curlers in her hair. At the end of every evening, whispering the Lord's Prayer. Mountain lady, I want you to know that you're so beautiful to me. From the callus on your hands to the way you like to dance to Conway Twitty. So when you hear this song in your Appalachian drop, you won't sing along, Mountain lady. Waits tables now will mines sweeping the floors not five nickels and dimes spends her wee nights bartending at the den wasting wild eyes and prettiest smiles on whiskey drinking men. Lady, I want you to know that you're so beautiful to me 
From the callous on your hands To the way you like to dance To Hank Whalen will leave So when you hear this song In your Appalachian draw Won't you sing along Mountain Lady Mm-hmm. Mountain Lady All right, ladies and gentlemen, again, that was Mountain Lady by Luke Trimble, a loving tribute to the women who sacrificed for him and all the other mothers in the Appalachian area that sacrificed for their families. What what a cool, what a cool way to thank everybody, Luke. That's really, really inspirational. I like that. Jerry, thank do you write you. your mama song? Uh, I did. Okay, no, just no, asking. No. I could, I could, I could. Wait, well, give me a chance. Can't <laughs> <laughs> for the ma and mom. <laughs> no, for the never mind. Mom. And all right, the, Luke. Put them all together. What do you got? <laughs> uh, mm. Hey, well, that portion said, Luke, tell us again where we can listen to more of your music, find out more about you as an artist and uh, keep in touch with you to make sure that we know when your uh, album is coming out. Yeah. So uh, LukeTrimbleMusic.com is where you can find um, some upcoming show dates, some merch, a few songs and videos. Um, If you want to follow me on uh, Instagram, it's where I put a lot of my stuff. It's LukeTrimble11 and then just... uh, Luke from on Facebook. And then again, um, you know, looking forward to releasing hopefully my first single around August and the, the EP um, September. Um, so yeah, and that'll be all on uh, all streaming platforms that you can find your music. Fantastic. And as always, I must implore our listeners to check out Luke and make sure you're checking out and following us on our social media too. Just because you get to listen to us doesn't mean no, we, we have to know that you're out there guys. So Give Gina holler. Let Jerry know your thoughts on his uh, rant for the evening. Tell me my shirt looks stupid. We don't care. Just get on there. (laughs) Give us some feedback and let us know that you're out there. And uh, we'll be happy to get back with you. And this evening, we're going to have one Mr. Jerry Springer and Casey Campbell take us out with Down by the Riverside. Till next time, guys. Well, I'm going to lay down my heavy load down by the riverside. Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. I'm gonna lay down my sword and shield.